0: Yeah, good morning, thank you for being here. Uh, That's who we are, and to see how we become that and how we remain that, I want to take a few moments here this morning in God's Word at an especially significant passage, and it's one that's really marked my life as a pastor, uh, as a Christian. It's actually the passage out of which God spoke to my heart, my wife's heart, when we moved here uh, almost six years ago. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1 this morning, verses 15 through 27. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have the supremacy. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church." 20 years ago this fall, Mosaic Church was planted here in Austin, Texas by a man named Dave Soto, first and originally as Star Christian Church, and then as Christ Community Church, and of course now as Mosaic. And you can see just from that one sentence alone, there have been a few changes here over the years, many actually. And, and for all God's done in us and through us this morning, we, re, we rejoice, but as much as today we're going to celebrate the last 20 years, this morning I'd also like to ask... What about the next 20? What about the next 20 years? What can we hope for, really? What should we be hoping for over the next 20 years? And let me give you a couple choices. Should we, on one hand, hope for Mosaic to continue more or less unchanged? You know, it's doing good. Do you love it? It's it's what we are right now. Should we, we, you know, do we don't want it to change? Or should we pray, on the other hand, that God would do something totally new and different. And before I give you what I think the answer should be, let me give you one thought to set it up. One of the most amazing things about our culture, in case you hadn't noticed, is about is how much really our culture has changed over the last 20 years. When it comes to basic fundamental assumptions about The world and about culture and in case this truth is lost in you in case you've forgotten how much the world's changed just go home this afternoon turn on netflix watch an episode of the fresh prince of bel-air and prepare to have your mind be blown and in the same way the challenges that our culture has the surrounding culture has with christianity those have changed too but in case you hadn't noticed, that's actually kind of a trend when it comes to, to skepticism. If you read just the smallest bit of history and church history, you see that in every generation in human history, people speak of what all intelligent people believe now. And yet, what all intelligent people believe now is always changing, from one generation to the next. For example, our great grandparents, your great grandparents' views on race, on sex, on gender, they may seem offensive to you today, but almost certainly our current views of race, sex, gender are gonna be offensive to our great grandchildren. It's hard to imagine, I know, because in every era, we are always sure we have arrived at finally the point where why the Bible can't be true anymore. All right. The point is this, that non-belief is notoriously unstable. It's always changing. Anybody remember the deists of the 18th century? Utilitarians of the 19th century? Existentialists of the 20th century? All right. They're all movements that believe they had arrived at the killer app of philosophy— And they would be the thing that would finally kill Christianity once and for all. You say, well, what about Orthodox Christianity? What about the church? Haven't there been changes to that over the years? Well, yeah, but nothing like the changes in non-belief. For example, if you go back and you read uh, Augustine from the 3rd century, 5th century, excuse me, uh, Luther from the 16th century, and C.S. Lewis in the 20th century, you'll get the sense, and rightly so, these are all brothers. These are all saying the same thing over thousands of years. But you ask, well, aren't they different as well? Well, yeah, but they were different, only different, and the point at which they were engaging radically different cultures over the centuries, which shows us this how we express ourselves on one hand must change as the years progress yet what we express must not things like the core beliefs of Christianity the gospel of Christ Apostles Creed, Nicene Creed things like that so how we express ourselves must change what we express never should or to put it like this mosaic must change in order to stay the same See, mosaic must change in order to stay the same. What do I mean? Well, it's easy to get emotionally attached, isn't it? to any particular aspect of a church like a name (laughs) a name a location style of music a personality of a particular minister or staff person and that's understandable you know when you've been helped and changed by something particular about a church you you don't ever want to see a change you want it to stay the way it is but that would be to make the mosaic of the past into an idol we must not try to hold on to every detail about who we are so tightly we forget while we're here, and yet we must hold on to what's most critical as we go, so that if some old timers in 20 years, you're still here, and, and they're asked by the next generation, is Mosaic different than it was 20 years ago, they'll say, well, it's different in many ways, but at heart, it's still the same so i want to ask and answer the question over the next 20 years how can we be differently the same how can we be differently the same over the next 20 years three ways story diversity glory Begin here number one. How many of you, uh, for example, have ever bumped into someone that you haven't seen in a long time? You bump into them. Maybe you're here this morning at Mosaica, and you haven't been here in a long time. And you're thinking, man, this feels different, right? It's a little different. Different than it used to. Didn't you guys used to be that church? Yeah. But now you're this? Yeah. That's right. And what goes in between the once you were... And the now you are what goes in (laughs) a story right come on you know the word it's a story someone's story a church's story and paul's pressing us to see this here in chapter one of colossians verses 21 and 22 he says what once you were alienated from god and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you see there's a a once you were and a but now and that's what paul's doing here to his colossian readers and us today he's creating a gap in their minds to press them to remember their story in the hopes that their hearts would worship jesus at the remembering he's pressing them by saying to them hey you all were once a mess remember that right but now You guys have all been put back together in Jesus. He's telling them, remember the power of your story. That's what he's doing. And if we will do that today, here's one example of what can happen. November 1932 in Australia, uh, down under, down on his luck. World War One veteran, man by the name of Arthur Stace, was homeless. He was hopelessly addicted to alcohol. His life of gambling, petty crime, only made his poverty worse. It driven him to the point of suicidal depression. But one night, as the story goes, he wanders into a church service. And that night, by God's providence, there was a man preaching by the name of John Ridley, who spoke on the subject. Of eternity. And really said this. He said, You're on your way to somewhere, brother. And God has made you to long for the place you're headed for. And really that night he preached that the deepest desire of every human heart was eternity. Over and over. He said it, eternity he used the word like a hammer to break open the hearts of his audience. And that night God did that. God, the God of the universe invaded Arthur Stace's soul and miraculously his life changed. He literally walked out a different man and was so affected by the presence of God touching him that he decided he would spend the rest of his life trying to help others know the God of the universe. And so every day for the next 35 years, Arthur Stace rose before the sun got up after drinking a cup of tea and so having some bible reading he would go out into the streets of sydney armed only with a piece of chalk and he would write the word one word eternity eternity over and over thousands of times over three and a half decades stace wrote the same word same beautiful script and as the town awoke every day they people would see the word everywhere on the backs of, of street signs or on the, the cornerstone of a building or on the, the side of a wall somewhere or outside a coffee shop and eternity appeared all over town and somehow instead of being insulted by the overtly spiritual message people reported feeling strangely encouraged and 25 years later no one could figure out who was doing this where the message would come from but one day he was finally discovered and instead of making him stop the city encouraged him to continue his graffiti experiment for the next 10 years. And you can still go to places today in Sydney where the original graffiti still remains. And his gravestone reads, Arthur Malcolm Stace, Mr. Eternity. But that's not the most remarkable part of the story. Back in the year 2000, when Australia hosted the Summer Olympic Games, they did something really unusual at the Olympic ceremony. When the torch was lit to launch the games, the background sky at night was, of course, illuminated by this huge fireworks display. And then a strange word flashed to life on the Sydney Harbor Bridge. And here's a shot of it. Eternity. yeah, the one word. Stace had so impacted his nation that when given an international audience, Australia immortalized his life and what he had found. Isn't that amazing? And what had he found? What had Arthur Malcolm Stace, Mr. Eternity, found? He found Colossians 1. He found the only thing that could not only pull and hold his life together... But the only thing that can pull and hold your life together and the only thing that can pull and hold nations and cultures and the church together, he had found the person, the true story of Jesus Christ. And in that one word, Arthur Stace was writing his story all over the city. The power, can you see, of one man's story changed a city. And in the same way, I believe, If told rightly and humbly, the power of our story can change the city as well believe that why because our story like arthur stace's story is really jesus's story they're all differently the same right they're all about a death and a resurrection all about life coming out of the grave and about a greater power than the power of darkness listen church believe this morning in the power of story the power of jesus's story and of yours and of this church's listen the power of story it's more powerful than facts it's more powerful than numbers it's more powerful than what you have and what you don't have and i know this listen when you step you step into the power and the flow of jesus's story like this story and you stand there and you remember what he's done for you that you once were but now you are that we once were but now we are we begin to release that all over the city oh that's when things change and i remember in some of the darkest days of this church when i got here And on paper, we were facing imminent financial collapse. Shouldn't have been here. Shouldn't have made it. People were leaving faster than the time it took to say eternity. (laughs) I remember being in my office day after day, speaking to the darkness, saying darkness, discouragement, loss, pain, you shall not pass. You shall not pass here. The power of Jesus is greater than you and he has been, hasn't he? He has been. We once were, but now we are because of his story, right? His gospel. Our stories, they may change over the next 20 years, but a commitment to telling his story, the gospel won't. Number two, diversity. Diversity. Over the past 20 years, as you may know, arguably more than anything else, our ethnic and our racial diversity has been the calling card of our church in the city. Why? Well, it's not just because we believe it's a good idea or something that we kind of like to pat ourselves on the back about. No, it's way beyond that and far deeper than that. Let me show you. Look at verse 20. It says, For God was what? pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself, that's God, what? All things. Whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I love this. This verse is saying it's God's pleasure. It brings pleasure to the heart of God to see things that formerly could never be reconciled, to now come together together. And hold together to be reconciled in other words reconciling people diversity isn't man's idea in the 21st century it's something that begins in the very heart and dna of god you say how is that well consider who god is right the christian god not unipersonal but he's what tripersonal father son spirit three different persons in one god god himself is diverse can you see and they're unbelievably unique and yet absolutely one and let me just show you for a minute if i could how the diversity of the person of god in the person of god is essential to your life and to this church if all you have in your life or all you focus on is the person of the father You'll become too authoritarian, too dogmatic, self-righteous, consumed with boundaries, boundary-keeping, rule-keeping. You'll become a Pharisee, consumed with right and wrong. But if all you have in your life or all you focus on is the person of the Spirit, by contrast, you'll have no boundaries, no one to dig into your life and to tell you what to do sometimes. You'll chase experience endlessly. You won't be a Pharisee. You'll be a mystic. But if all you have in your life or all you focus on is the person of the son, you may feel good about how much God loves you, how forgiven you are. You may feel affirmed and free, brother, but without the spirit to compel you and empower you to go out of your comfy Christian chair into all the world, you won't be a Pharisee. You won't be a mystic. You just might be a Christian slacker. And there are churches that focus on one of these three persons to the exclusion of others. But if you have a father giving boundaries a sun-giving grace, and a spirit-giving power. Now you've got a, a dynamic, pulsating, throbbing kind of God turning you into something you could never be on your own without the other two persons. And therefore, our need for diversity within God shows us the demand for diversity within God's church. Why? Oh, because it shapes us into totally different people than we could ever be on our own around the same kind of folk. Listen, I'm so glad my church are, my excuse me, my church, my children are growing up in an ethnically diverse, socioeconomically diverse, generationally diverse environment in this church. I never had that as a child. My children cannot imagine life without it. But we don't pursue diversity just because it's good or a buzzword or our culture likes it. No, we pursue it and live it out because it's way better than good. Oh, it's way deeper than good. We pursue it because it's within the heart and nature of God. He wants to reconcile to himself all peoples, all things. We need it. And for the last 20 years, we've done our best to live it out. Are we perfect at it? Mm, Far from it. Far from it are we getting better at it? I hope so. I believe so. But will how we express it look different as the years go by, say in 20 of them? Well, it must for us to stay the same, you see. Number three, finally, glory. Now as we get into this last point, as we set it up, I'm going to ask the ushers to begin to pass communion. Uh, So don't, don't, don't sort of worry about them as the elements go by. Go ahead and take those and hold those, and we'll receive them all together at the end here of this final thought. You know, as you read Colossians 1, I trust that you've read it before. One of the most stunning things, uh, one of the most breathtaking things that Paul does in any of his letters happens here at the end of Colossians 1. Because when you read through the first chapter, uh, and we've only taken some snapshots of it today. When you read through it, you read phrase after mind-blowing phrase about the supremacy of the person of Christ. Paul says stuff like this, only in him can't all things hold together only in him do do all things hold together only in him paul says can everything find its meaning only he is above every throne right every power every president every prime minister only jesus can carry history paul says it's all about him it's all about him and after a whole chapter of this roller coaster through the heart of christ Paul drops a stunner of an ending on you at the end of the chapter. He says, all right, you've heard that, but do you want to know where the real glory shows up, the real power of Christ, where the real riches and magnificence, and the word he uses, the real mystery of Christ, shows up? He says, ready for it? He says it's in people, in people. At first, it's all about Jesus. Then he says, But it's about people. People, the messed up, broken church people, he says, is where you find the greatest display of God's glory. He puts it like this. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the you here, by the way, isn't singular. Thank you very much, Americans in the room. It's plural, as in y'all. Y'all, better yet, as in all y'all. He's saying, Christ in all y'all. That's the hope of glory. In other words, when people see Jesus, not in one person, but in a group of people, a group of diverse people even, that gives a city hope. Christ in all y'all, he says, is the hope of glory. And how do people see that fleshed out? It's this. When people see us doing for others what we know Jesus did for us, the world's going to have hope when they see us suffer for and sacrifice for one another and for others. You say, that's taking it a bit too far. Not at all. Look at what Paul says in verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in what I am. What's the word? suffering for you and i fill up you got to catch all these words fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church this is almost weird right i mean on one hand it's almost like saying what christ suffered oh it's not enough it's not not sufficient and in a sense that i mean that can't be true or can it or can it He's saying, yes, Christ is perfect. Jesus' atonement is perfect. Read Galatians. Yes, Jesus is everything. But what, he's saying, what the totality of who Christ is, supreme before all things, head of the body, what that person of Christ, he's saying, compels me to do is to get up next to and take a bullet for the church of Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to get in there and suffer with and stand next to and hang on to those broken people so that Jesus can be more real to them. And look at who he's saying he's doing it for. What kind of person? It's not just the lost, not just skeptics, not just people who don't believe. And listen, if that's you, you are critical to us, important to us. Man, my heart beats for people who don't know Jesus. But Paul says here in this passage, I'm gonna get up next to and I'm gonna take a bullet for the church. Paul says, I'm glad I can suffer for Christ's body. How many of us can say that today? How many of us can say, along with Paul, it's a privilege to be able to suffer for my church? Hmm. Now, the reason many of you have come here and you've tasted hope, you've tasted a bit of God's glory, is because there are people in this room who can say that. There are people like Dr. John Lloyd be here in a few moments coming from work of course Stepped into a mess in 2009 to serve as the interim pastor here when the previous pastor stepped out in the middle of yet another crisis john's still a doctor he's suffering the loss of the tragic death of his wife's parents he stepped into a vacuum led the church through countless hours and months of discussions and phone calls and heated arguments and dealing with you some of you into a place of stability and a new church government while Aaron Day is keeping their hall, their five children's world together and his world together and spinning. There are people like Dr. Quinn Smith, who volunteered as a full time children's work uh, minister because we had no money to pay her. For years, she's in the role with three small children, including one with significant health issues. People like Brett and Melissa Milliken, who have served in every way the church has needed them to. Including, I think I lost count somewhere, youth ministry, homeless ministry, missions, coffee bar, community groups, foundations, membership, being the executive pastor, chief pastoral care, on staff, all at once. One position. People like Philip and Kristen Edwards, Dan and Beth Allen, who stepped into a void in our worship department for years. It was the most dependable part of our church. You may not have known who was preaching, and you didn't know if anybody else was going to be here besides you, but you knew when you came, you'd encounter God. People like Dave and Stacey DiStefano, whose faithfulness and service and financial generosity have been the backbone of this church they've touched every department every way people like pastor dan davis are you here today dan davis i think he maybe he's coming to one of our services here he helped shepherd us through a critical moment and at an irreplaceable time helped us become who we would be people like robert sherman paul leach who have held more hands they've endured more indignities from other christian leaders than any two men should have had to They've been like Paul. They've taken bullets for the church. People like Glenn Milburn, Charlie Pitkin, Leon Stewart. They stepped up when the church was in need of people stepping up, even when they didn't feel like it, and when they didn't feel like they knew what they were doing. People like Jamie Smith, who has done more and given more and served more and loved more than just about any human being, can possibly have given people like our deacons here our staff here campus missionaries they serve behind the scenes they carry massive amounts of weight and responsibility and they do without a lot of thank yous without a lot of attaboys and pats on the back people like galen and simone who've grown galen's grown from this amazing church member into like super elder uh, over the last few years you like where's galen gone to he's changing his outfit he's changing his costume he's he's getting into and flying around somewhere and he and simone They've filled up in their own flesh what's been lacking in a lot of people's lives. See, over and over, there have been countless people, members, so many of you I don't even have time to name here have been here since before 2009- eight. A small army of volunteers in this church, you've done the same. Now, when I told those stories, what did you feel a bit of in your heart? Did it feel like hope? Uh, feel like glory? That's what it was. Christ in all y'all, all of us, the hope of glory. What will it be like in 20 years? It'll be different. It'll be the same, though. Be the same. A diverse people living out Jesus's story, looking like the hope of glory for the world. Can you say amen this morning? Let's go to him in prayer for a moment. Father, we come in Jesus' name. Lord, we just thank you for our time here. Thank you for this morning, all that you've done in our hearts and lives. Lord, we come to you humbly, acknowledging, as we've read, it's you who have made us and not we ourselves. We're your people, sheep of your pasture. Give us grace to be diverse, power to share our story, and faith to be able to to be your glory to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.